Welcome to The Lit Review, a podcast sparked by a moment of urgency, recognizing mass political education as key for our liberation struggles. Every week, your hosts, Paige May and Monica Trinidad, will chat with people we love and respect about relevant books for the movement. Everything from history to theories around gender to sci-fi and beyond. We know that political study is not accessible for a variety of reasons. The high cost of books, academic jargon, the failures of our underfunded school systems, time barriers, etc. Our hope is that this podcast helps address some of those issues, making critical knowledge more accessible to the masses. Think Sparknotes in podcast form. I'm one of your hosts, Paige May. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Lit Review. Today we're going to be talking with a longtime organizer, Martine, about a book called Medical Apartheid, The Dark History of Medical Experimentation on Black Americans from Colonial Times to the Present by Harriet Washington. I'm super excited to hear about this book in particular from our guest, Martine, because she's someone who started up, has helped to co-found, I believe, a really important organization that's doing critical work that's right at the intersection of sort of like I don't know, like liberation and racial justice and all the forms of justice and, and, and healthcare and thinking through those things. So welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm doing really good. Thank you so much for having me. It was really nice to be asked to come. Absolutely. I'm, so, I'm really, really excited. I've had this book for a minute and I haven't read it. Okay. But can you tell us more about, you know, who are you, what do you do and why? Of course. So uh, like she said, my name is Martine. Uh, I am one of the co-founders of Ujima Medics or Umedics for short. And uh, what we do is we teach life-saving skills to people who need the most. We started with teaching people in our neighborhoods, maybe on the south and west side of Chicago, uh, how to respond and treat someone who's been shot. And uh, now we're expanding to uh, asthma because I mean, that was actually the second thing we decided to do because it's, it's such a, um, there's such a health disparity um, regarding black people and people of color um, in terms of asthma deaths and how asthma affects us in terms of the environment. So we're, we're doing that. We launched a diabetes workshop this summer about diabetes community care, which is all, which is really actually for people who don't die, who don't have diabetes to learn about it and learn how to support people in your family community who do. And the whole objective of Umedics is we want people to feel like they have some kind of self-determination as it regards their health. But, you know, so your health as a person living in your body with control over decisions that affect your body, but also the health in your community. So all those things are very important. And we believe that everyone, you know, has the right to not just health care, but health justice and um, you know, emotional, physical, um, mental and spiritual health. So we want to promote that and we believe that anyone with the right tools and information and training can become a healer as well. So that's what we do. And where can folks go to find out more and to support you and throw money y'all's, y'all's way? Oh, okay. So we have a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. So it's just Facebook think backslash Umedics. And then we have a website, umedics.org. Okay, cool. We'll do the plug. I'll try to remember to do the plug again at the end, but yeah. 
they're really, really great. They came and trained our young people, and it was amazing. And our young people, within that week, two times actually had to use the stuff that they had learned, which is really? amazing. Really? Yeah. I know that. Yeah, it was really, I mean, it was like both horrible and amazing, but one of our young folks, you know, like helped keep her grandmother alive because oh, well, of what she learned well, in that's, this program. Well, that's good. Yeah, it that's is. It's really, really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because, yeah, the, the ambulance took too long. Um, but can you tell us more about what led you to read this book uh, specifically? Where were you at in life? Why, why did you pick it up? Why did you decide to read it? So, I had been interested in the book for a while. Um, let's see when it was published. Which year? So, it was published in 2006. And I received this book as a gift from a good friend to Saint Lossier. Do you know him? I do. Okay, he he gave it to me. Uh, This is his description right here. And he gave it to me in, that must have been 2011, because I was about to go to nursing school. I'm now a registered nurse right now, so that's another part of my story. But um, I'm not sure if he knew that I had been wanting to read it. Oh, actually, even before I got it as a gift, I checked it out from the library. Mm-hmm. And I took it on a plane. I left it on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> so I did I only got to read okay. the introduction before and then I think it was like a year and a half before uh, I got it as a gift. So mm-hmm. it was really good to get that. It was a really good time to get it because you know, you know, I was gonna be going into um, the medical system as a person who is now a part of that medical system and a cortical professional in that system. And so it's important that, um, first of all, any person who is uh, what's called a health professional understand the history that this book is getting into. Anybody who is serving uh, black people, people of color, poor working class folks, anybody that's um, vulnerable to a lot of the abuses that the book is talking about needs to be familiar with this history and definitely as a black person who is um, you know practicing in the healthcare system but also you know has an overarching goal to be you know a healer and uh, a servant to my community I need to understand what this is about so that I can be more effective in what I'm doing mm-hmm. absolutely well walk us through it what's this book laying out you mentioned this seems to talk through a history. Yeah. What is that history? Yeah, so so first of all, the author of this book is Harriet Washington. She's a journalist and a researcher, and um, she had done lots of different just like different jobs in the healthcare field before she became a journalist and a researcher. And she focuses a lot on medical ethics. She's wrote a, written, I think, two additional books after this. Um, one of them is really interesting, it's about um, genetics and um, corporate control over people's genetic legacy. So that's really good to check that out. Mm-hmm. But in terms of this book, this was, I think, the first book she published. And she's been research. she researched this book for, I think, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Wow. And she, um, I really have a lot of respect for her as someone who uh, really dug into the history, um, looking for um, you know, original historical documents and whenever there was a claim, pursuing it and finding the sources. Um, and so because I have a lot of respect for her, I want to make sure that I uh, give the message of the book and what I perceive to be her message. You know, I have my takeaways, but I also want to make sure people understand her, understand what she wants you to take away. Yeah. Because I think that um, some, for some people who might glance at it or know the book exists or maybe know a few stories out of it, 
um, they're not quite getting the takeaway that she wants us to take away from it. So there's that. But so the subtitle for the book is Medical Apartheid, The Dark History of Medical Experimentation on Black Americans from Colonial Times to the Present. So the book is focused on uh, black people in the United States, although toward the end of the book it actually begins to talk about uh, abuses of black people in Africa mm -hmm. from the medical establishment. And uh, so she starts, like it says, in colonial times with slavery and with the, um, the uh, ideas that uh, white, white slave owners and white physicians used to justify their abuses. Uh, one thing that she points out is the contradiction in how black people were supposed to be inferior uh, mentally. Uh, we were supposed to have different body systems. In fact, one of the, well not one, many of the physicians involved in the, in the Tuskegee syphilis experiment believed that black people had different nervous systems from whites. Um, we were supposed to be you know, um, mentally inferior, have different kinds of diseases, have different resistance to diseases, um, be more physically, well, you, they wouldn't use the word resilient, but I'm going to use the word physically resilient to um, diseases like yellow fever, which was ridiculous, um, could withstand heat better, and didn't, didn't feel pain, which is a, an idea that still persists to this day, uh, so we show it. So all these things that are supposed to be different biologically. Um, in fact, there were um, some white scientists in the 19th century who propagated the idea that black people were a totally different species from whites. So you have all these ideas about how we're different and inferior, subhuman, yet you're experimenting on our bodies to draw conclusions about how to treat illnesses for white people. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. bizarre. Yeah. And she doesn't try to explain it. She's just like, look, this is what they said. Because she goes into the medical journals. Um, and one thing she points out about medical journals, particularly um, in the 19th century, early 20th century, is that uh, they, they were even less accessible to people than they are now. You know, a lot of medical journals now are behind a paywall. But a lot of the stuff is free and open on the internet, um, on, in Healthline. Um, all over the place. You can look up, you can read, people can read studies. Now, whether you can figure out what the jargon is and what it's saying, that's another story. But at least you can read them. Back then, you know, this stuff was locked up in medical libraries. Mm -hmm. So the only people that were reading this stuff were other doctors. They weren't expecting other kinds of eyes to be on it, right? Mm -hmm. So they were very honest, mm -hmm. very detailed, very clear about what their ideas were about <laughs> black people. Um, what their role was in maintaining the, the system of slavery and maintaining and propagating ideas about black inferiority um, and detailing the abuses against black bodies as if it was nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, we did this. Oh, we, yeah, we, we took this guy, we held him down and we removed his jawbone. Yeah, that happened. Oh. You know, stuff like that. Wow. Um, so she really delves into the, into the what their their words to pull out um, what happened to black people in the 19th century and then she carries it forward to look at you know so the ideas that you know black people were 
suitable research subjects, um, more suitable than um, often white people and other groups because we were vulnerable. We didn't have the same legal rights as other groups did. Um, for black people that were enslaved, it was essentially, you know, black people, you know, weren't really patients, right? So if I'm, if I'm, if my, if, if I'm owned body and soul by another person, the patient isn't me. The patient is the, the guy who thinks he owns me, because they're the ones who were deciding when I get medical care, what kind I get. You know, I can't consent at all. I have, you know, I can't control things at all, and so. Um, so, so that, that was happening, and then she looks at the history of medical education. Um, she doesn't really touch on what happened in medical schools in Europe. I don't know what they did over there to abuse people, but you know that must have been happening. But in terms of you know United States, it was convenient to have this underclass of black people that she could just openly exploit and um, get away with it, not have to worry about consent, not have to worry about ethics, none of that was a, a factor. It doesn't mean that there were no standards for ethics or research protocol, things like that during that time. It just means that those things were ignored for black people. And um, she was like, it's beyond the scope of her book to get into this, but um, you know, there were other groups that were abused too, particularly people with disabilities. But there's other books about that, but it's important to point that out as well. Um, although for people with disabilities, disproportionately black people with disabilities were the ones right. who were um, you know, mainly affected by it. But anyway, <laughs> there's a, I mean, this, is, this book is really long. It's really extensive, it's really detailed. There's so many things I could say about it. Um, but, you know, so like, like I said, it starts in the 19th century and um, with medical education, it gets into how, you know, if you're a medical student and you show up in medical school and, you know, you're part of what you want to do is you want to help people, right? But you're in, you are either your racist ideas about black people that you already have are not only reinforced but built upon with all the rest of this other crap about, oh, this is the science that they're inferior. And um, when you do research, you want to use black people because of this. And so it further dehumanized black people when, you know, um, bodies were being used for medical experimentation, medical schools without the consent of loved ones. When I mean bodies, I mean what would happen is people would, you know, medical schools would hire people to go and dig up graves and they would target black cemeteries mainly. And this was a situation in both in the South and in some northern cities as well where they would do this. And um, this, is, this isn't going to be my favorite quote, but I'm going to look, yeah. at a, go ahead. look at one and just explain how this was there's a quote in here that really points out how um, how terrible this was for black people to have this happen. So one, you know, you, you, you bury your loved one, put them in the cemetery, and someone comes along, takes their body, puts them, you know, some sells it to a medical school, um, and they use that body for experimentation without your consent and the consent of the person whose you know body it was. Now we can say whether or not we want our bodies to be used in, in scientific research. You know th there, that wasn't happening for Black people back then, 
And so what it says here is for blacks, uh, anatomical dissection and after death meant even more. It was an extension of slavery into eternity because it represented a profound level of white control over their bodies, illustrating that they were not free even in death. Mm. So, you know, I'm, I, I die and you're still disrespecting, disrespecting and claiming ownership over what happens to my body. Right. So these kinds of things were happening in the 19th century and um, medical schools and medical students, um, you know, they, the idea became embedded in them that, well, when it's time to do research, we're going to use black people because that's, that's what's done. Mm -hmm. That's how it's done. So she, she, she looks at that and she moves into the 20th century. Um, oh, still in the 19th century, she gets into the display of black bodies, not just you know, situations like what happened to, are you familiar with the case of Oda Benga? No. Okay. So I can just briefly say he was a man who was from what's now known as the Congo. Uh, he was kidnapped from the Congo and brought to the Bronx Zoo and displayed in a cage with human bones scattered around him in an orangutan. Okay. And part of that um, part, part of that kind of thing, it's, it's, he wasn't the only person that kind of thing happened to, but that was one of the more famous cases mm -hmm. uh, that happened to somebody um, where the whole idea was to uh, probably to the public that we want to use black bodies in a certain kind of way. We want to um, show that um, they're different. We want to show that we have justification for um, that, well, at this point, we were beyond enslavement. Mm -hmm. um, we were. This was after the Civil War, but the, this is the justification for Jim Crow. Mm -hmm. This is a justification for the discrimination. This is a justification for criminalization, um, for control of their bodies because they're inferior. So you know, science is basically saying, "Well, look, this is proof that you know black people are inferior," and so it further reinforced the idea that it's okay to do whatever you want to them. Um, the 19th century was also when um, Marion Sims, uh, the physician in I think the state is now South Carolina, um, and in fact, I think some BYP 100 members mm -hmm. just uh, did a demonstration at his stupid statue mm -hmm. um, where they were just giving voice to the fact that he's being displayed here like he's some kind of hero, father got ecology, all this crap when the way that he developed his treatments that ultimately went on to benefit um, white women in the beginning was by experimenting on enslaved black women who had absolutely no way to you know consent to what was going on and you know not only could they not consent but you know I mean it was just I mean, I hate using words like this, but I don't know what else to say. Like, barbaric? Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think people are barbarians, but, you know, you have these people, you know, you have this guy who's at the pinnacle of the social system. He's this respectable doctor, mm -hmm. you know. We're, but we're the ones who are inferior and barbaric and, you know, um, mentally defective. But you think it's okay to perform multiple surgeries, not for, their, not for therapeutic purposes for them, but to prop yourself up by creating, um, you know, by inventing a way to treat particular illnesses, you're trying to prop yourself up. So you're experimenting on experimenting on them, 
um, performing multiple surgeries they don't need without anesthesia. But you know, no, it's you who it's you who's barbaric. Um, so she's documenting all of this, and then getting into the 20th century. You know, the when most people think about experimentation on on black bodies, they think about the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. Actually, can you explain that? I've heard the bit of the story, but just in case there are folks who haven't, of course, um, I think it is an important one to know. But then other examples are also helpful. Yeah, yeah. So that's probably been the most extensively publicized and um, researched um, widespread abuse of black bodies for medical purposes, and it was really long too. It started in the '30s and went on until the 70s when it was finally uncovered. Uh, but what happened was, um, so the, the U.S. Public Health Service uh, worked with um, some people in Tuskegee. I think the, the uh, city there was Macon, Georgia. And they identified these black men who had syphilis, right? They said, okay, well these, these men have syphilis. So what they did was they told these men um, that they were being um, treated for something. They didn't tell them they had syphilis though. They said, we're treating you for something. And they were, you know, going for medical checkups and, you know, getting, you know, placebo and, uh, injections and medications. But the point was not to treat these men for, for syphilis. The point was to study syphilis and the, um, the effects of syphilis on the nervous system, which is kind of weird because Syphilis is an ancient disease, and people kind of know what happens with syphilis. Okay, yeah. they, we knew this. Yeah, but they had this. Some of, a lot of the doctors had this belief that uh, black people's nervous systems were different. So they want to study, and then they they, they thought that, and, and then again, contradictory, horrible science. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not anti-science. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is bad science. This is really, really, really bad, bad science, science right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, well, we're going to extrapolate from these people who are different for us. What are you doing? Why would you even think to do that? So anyway, so they're pretend treating these people for whatever, okay, and just watching them deteriorate from syphilis. Not only that, but these guys, they didn't know they had syphilis. Mm -hmm. So they're giving syphilis willy-nilly to their wives and their girlfriends and you know syphilis can be passed to children from um, through childbirth and from intimate contact so their children are getting syphilis and no they, they don't know it and it's treatable it's one, syphilis is 100% treatable mm -hmm. easily treatable but they did not treat them because the point of this experiment was not to help them or to treat them the point of this was to just use them to draw conclusions about how to help white people you know, mm -hmm. that's what this was. Mm -hmm. And um, and so that's the one of the more well-known mm -hmm. instances of this. And it's one of the longest um, experiments, experiments of this kind uh, that's been uncovered anyway. So most people know about that. And one thing that uh, the author was saying is that a lot of people think it's the only one. Uh, which is part of the reason why she wrote this book because... Mm -hmm. It's not the only one. Um, it's, it's just an example of uh, what happens. And the thing is, part of her uh, mission in writing the book is to, you know, show, you know, there's this idea in the medical field that 
black people are paranoid and we have unjustified fears of going to the doctor, going to hospitals, going to the emergency rooms. And what she's saying is actually these, these fears that people have are reasonable. And I'm going to show you why they're reasonable. And um, the fact that uh, black people are hesitant to seek medical treatment because of this history contributes to health disparities. And she's saying in order to address that, this has to all be uncovered and looked at and acknowledged. Black people's reasonable fears of medical establishment are real. Mm -hmm. And if we have to, if we want to get anywhere in terms of uh, people deciding that they're going to participate in medical research and you know go and seek treatment from the medical system, we have to we have to we have to acknowledge all this, acknowledge where the fears come from, and um, do what we have to do to make sure that these abuses don't continue to happen. So that's why she, that's why she wrote this. Um, particularly for those people who were like, well, it was just Tuskegee. No, it was not. <laughs> and I'm going to write an enormous book <laughs> to, you know, prove, you know, what's been going on. Um, so in addition to this Tuskegee experiment, I mean, she goes into so many other, um, so many, many other less well-known issues. Uh, for example, uh, there was, uh, there, there were some people in the 60s who, were um, were treated with treated. I can't even use that word. Um, they were given high doses of radiation um, to see how the human body will deal with high doses of radiation with efficacy. And it was actually black and white people who were given doses of radiation. But of course, disproportionately, it was black people. Right? Um, you had these experiments on children. Um, she lived in New York City, or she did at the time she wrote the book. So she looked a lot at what was happening in New York City and there were experiments on babies with HIV that were not therapeutic. There were experiments on um, uh, uh, young men in, was that New York City, um, trying to prove that there was a, some kind of link, genetic link between um, being black and being male and having the propensity for violence. Um, there was an experimental drug that was used on um, uh, black boys, either in New York or Baltimore. I think that was um, either in the 80s or 90s. And the way that they, they recruited these young men was to find them through um, the carceral system. And so there, all, these, all these things were happening. Um, there was another situation. Um, there's just so many. I'm trying to remember it. Uh, the, whatever. So anyway, she uncovers in the 20th century numerous examples of uh, abuses that are similar to Tuskegee and that black people were enrolled in, um, enrolled in, in studies that did not hold up to anybody's standards of, of, of ethics. Um, it recruited people who were by definition vulnerable populations. So basically people who were in a very bad position to be able to say no. Um, so you're taking people who are in the foster care system, you're taking people who are incarcerated or still in the system, um, you're taking people, you know, who are who, who are children, 
Um, you know, you're taking people who are mentally disabled. Um, and she even po she pointed out that even more recently, um, people who are admitted to emergency rooms, um, there was a situation I think in Detroit where people admitted to emergency rooms who are conscious were given an experimental um, new blood product um, because they're you know they're not able to consent. So all these things are happening in the 20th century. Um, she does point out that um, you know things aren't as egregious as they used to be because you know um, most of us don't have a, a white person who <laughs> legally owns our body, right? Uh, right? And um, you know we don't have segregated hospitals and. In the 19th century, in particular, it was very, very difficult for Black people to get medical degrees. They often had to go outside the country mm -hmm. to get them. So we have Black people who are working and running um, a lot of research studies and medical institutions. So things are slowly getting better. But at the end of the book, she points out some ways that things need to continue to improve. Um, you know, starting with the acknowledgement by people in the medical establishment that this stuff is real, it happened, and um, a lot of prestigious institutions uh, were a part of it, benefited from it, co-signed on these studies. So um, when you come into black communities, one of people to sign up for your research studies and they're saying well, we don't want to do that, um, the problem isn't them, the problem is you, and uh, the problem is the system. Mm -hmm. So. That's uh, in the nutshell, I guess, the book. Okay. Yeah. And so you're saying that, you know, this tradition of, of just like completely denying black people's agency. Mm -hmm. uh, I heard you mention uh, men. I heard you mention women. Mm -hmm. I also heard you mention babies, people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. right? So this was like all kinds of black folk. And it says like, you know, usual suspect prisoners. Um, mm -hmm. So it was really just making like this was something that, any age, anywhere. Yeah. It wasn't just in the South a lot, right. but it wasn't it was okay. just yeah. in the South. Okay, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. And so when, and it's helping. I also, I guess, I'm just sort of processing out loud to some extent. But it's helping me re understand sort of what Black folks have been struggling for as well. Where this is, I, th I think we're in a moment where. Um, they're sort of like, oh, there's calls for reproductive justice, and and uh, a lot of times they're framed as like white women's issues, yeah. Um, and it's it's somewhat siloed, but a lot, it's, but yeah, like you said, like part of what was gained by ending Jim Crow wasn't just schools; it was also hospitals, right? Um, by demanding like. Um, transparency with certain things right and and like peer-reviewed things or, or access to to um to get access gaining access to becoming a doctor right? in medical mm -hmm. school right? all of those things are actually it, the universities and white doctors didn't suddenly come better people had to fight for these things right. um, and that's that's really helpful and I, I do what do you see happening now um within the black lives matter movement like are, are we tapping into this at all how are folks uh a, Acknowledging this history, as she's saying, needs to be done, or how are we not? Um, and, and the other pieces, that the work that still needs to be done, like what, is this, what does this book mean for our work that needs to happen okay. today? Okay, sure, thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement, I am not sure if I'm equipped to speak on exactly how the movement is addressing some of these things. I know that um, in terms of the movement for black lives, you know, they have that policy platform. Yes. And there's a healthcare platform 
um, that uh, talks about health disparities, environmental justice, um, things like that. But I ha it's been a while since I've looked at the policy mm -hmm. uh, to be able to tell you exactly how I think it intersects with what you're talking about in the book. But um, one thing, one of the first things you said was about reproductive justice, and she does talk about forced sterilization mm -hmm. uh, of black women and um, women in um, places that were um, under some kind of colonial control. Um, in particular, she talks about Fannie Lou Hamer. And I was familiar with that story because I read um, a biography of Fannie Lou Hamer. But part of why uh, she even got into the civil rights movement is because she was a victim of this. She went in to get what Harry Washington thinks was probably a uterine fibroid removed. That's why she went to the doctor. And then she came out with a hysterectomy. And she didn't know it. And she found out because um, the land where she worked at, the, the white people who owned the land, somebody, you know, one of them got wind of it and they were kind of like talking smack about it. Like, hee 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 hee. Mm -hmm. Right? So that's how she found out about it. And uh, once she. You know, and she really did want a family. She was never able to have children because of that. And that was a big part of the reason why she got into the civil rights movement because she wanted to, you know, she wanted power. She wanted the power to stop these things from happening. And it wasn't just her. It, it was happening in Mississippi. It was happening all over the South. It was happening in different places in the world where women were sterilized against their, um, you know, against their will. And thinking that they're going in for an appendectomy, thinking that you're going in to get a uterine fiber removed or you got gallstones removed, and you come out with a, a hysterectomy or come out sterilized. So, you know, when these things are happening, um, you know, it's a, it, it's, it's a, again, it's an important for people to understand why people, why you know, people are so wary about doctors and hospitals, right? But it's getting to the point about Black Black Lives Matter and reproductive justice, she also talks about, you know, so where, where did those ideas come from that, you know, why would you want to forcibly sterilize someone? So she talks about eugenics. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of other books and, and um, articles that really delve into what this was. Um, but it essentially, there was positive eugenics and negative eugenics. And this was created by white Americans. This didn't start in Germany. Germany, you know, learned from, learned from Americans what they were doing and putting in place heat in the United States and they were using those ideas in uh, Germany. And in fact, um, one interesting thing about it that she points out is that their rules for eugenics were even less, uh, less stringent than the United States mm -hmm. because in Germany you know, I mean, so they, they, they did they did this extermination campaign against Jews, right? But if you had a Jewish grandparent, they're like, ah, you're three-fourths German, you're okay. We're not going to kill you. Whereas in the United States, mm -hmm. you if you were one-thirty, one drop yeah. of black, one drop, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was over for you. So that's one thing she pointed out that was interesting about mm -hmm. it. But with eugenics, you know, you had, so you had the people who were saying, all right, we need policies to encourage the right kind of people to breed. So white, um, in, a, in a very, you know, uh, specific narrow kind of white, like not like the 
Romanian white, but you know, like English stock, you know, German stock, French white, that kind of white. We want them to reproduce. We want whites who are middle class and up mm -hmm. to reproduce. They did not want whites who were defective or, you know, imbeciles or, you know, in poverty. They didn't want, they didn't want them to reproduce. So, you know, you had that, right? And they didn't want black people to reproduce. They didn't want um, Mexicans to reproduce. So you had positive eugenics, which is we want these to encourage these people to breed and negative. We want to stop these people from breeding. So that's where your forced sterilization comes in. Um, that's also where um, the history of birth control comes in. And I think that part of the problem we're having right now is that a lot of people, uh, I know a lot of black people definitely associate birth control, associate abortion, um, and especially birth control that is medical with the history of eugenics and intentions to um, you know, enact genocide against black people. So as it comes to reproductive rights, reproductive freedom, um, I, I know that one thing that a lot of uh, black women, women of color have been doing is changing the conversation about reproductive rights away from just abortion mm -hmm. and toward the freedom to choose, period. The freedom to have children if you want children in addition to the freedom to choose when you have children and how. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, what's my next point going to be? I had it. Where did it go? <laughs> okay, so, okay, okay. I'm getting there. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to tie it all together. Yeah, yeah. So, were we going to say something? Well, it might help me. I, I, so, one <laughs> thing I am wondering if you can speak to as well. Um, I remember reading about a case a couple years ago of a prison in California. But I think it was a group of 20 women mm -hmm. who. Um, without their consent, and I think without their knowledge, I think they had gone in, you know, the doctor had said they needed a surgery, um, and they, I don't even know if these were women who had complained of a problem, but just suddenly the doctor says you need a surgery, and they go in and they're getting um, hysterectomies. Mm -hmm. And uh, is that something, like, can you speak to that sort of how, it seems significant to me that prisoners have been a group of people that have been targeted in the past, and that we're now in this era of mass incarceration, mm -hmm. um, where we... And increasingly, right, the overwhelm, the, the number one growing population of, of prisoners is women of color. And so is this something are we still seeing it there? And that seems like a place where we haven't, the gains that have been made that we right. mentioned earlier haven't necessarily been made there in terms mm -hmm. of, there is, there, there's no, like, our, I don't know about charts inside of prison. My understanding is that the healthcare system inside of prison is just atrocious. Um, the documentation that you might expect on the outside, you can't expect on the inside. Mm -hmm. um, the, yeah, all of that. So can you say a little bit more about that as well? Yeah, I'm not familiar with that case okay. um, about what happened to those women in California. But um, in terms of a direction for um, you know people that are, that are doing black liberation work mm -hmm. in the United States, um, I think that especially people who are concerned with reproductive rights, reproductive freedom, you know, again, you know, not just with, you know, experiments, right, but also with um, with giving consent for medical procedures. You know, people that are in prison are not in a position to really be able to do that. Yeah. Um, on paper, they are, but in practice, you know, there's so many abuses that go on in prison. You know, th th this is one of them. Um, you know, the, the um, not being able to consent to being in research studies.
um, particularly research studies that are experimental and not for therapeutic value. And then, you know, what we're talking about here is, you know, women being robbed of their, um, their right to choose. You know, they're, they're being robbed of their right to choose to have children, mm -hmm. um, to consent to things being done to their bodies um, and definitely to their future. And, and, and one thing about it is, um, you know, the word eugenics is a dirty word now, even among, you know, um, even among people who aren't involved in any kind of progressive politics. But the ideas behind eugenics are still very popular, mm -hmm. still very popular. People still think that um, people of low income should be sterilized. Or, you know, they have these fantasies about, well, maybe there should be an exam before you can be allowed to have, have a child. And, well, maybe we should give, um, give young boys um, a shot that will sterilize them for 10 years until they're ready. Mm. And, um, you know, even down to that one organization that got shut down called Crack, the, this lady in, I think it was Virginia or North Carolina, she had adopted uh, a bunch of kids who... Um, were um, children of drug addicted moms and so she she was going around trying to pay women to get sterilized yeah wow. yeah she was paying them to get sterilized um, and so the idea and what she was doing was popular with a lot of people yeah you know uh, we have to stop these defectives from having children so they don't want to call it eugenics mm -hmm. that's exactly what it is mm -hmm. And there's always a danger of that those kinds of ideas becoming policy, you know, not under the table like what's going on at this prison, mm -hmm. but actual policy. So we have to continue to fight against that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of. I, I definitely have heard that argument before, or like heard people say things like that, right? Like, these people shouldn't have children, da da da. Yeah. And I'm also trying to think it's of serious. like in schools, right? How I'm thinking about. The, the ways that, uh, yeah, I, I, there's, I, it's, it's helping me see problems yeah. in a different way. Where I'm trying to see a different example. layer of it. I'm going to give you another yeah. example. So this is, and particularly because we're getting into some of the stuff she talks about at the end of the book. Okay. Which is, um, so we're, we're seeing a lot of protections in the United States mm -hmm. due to, you know, not because people are, you know, at the goodness of their heart, oh, wow, we're going to protect people, but because they were fought for, like everything else, right? Um, so now medical researchers who um, want to get around ethical um, regulations to do what they want to do, now they're going to Africa. Mm -hmm. um, and they're, because um, of stipulations saying like, well, you know, well, we're going to follow the research standards of whatever country we're going to and not those of the country we come from and not, you know, those of the country, you know, that houses the institution where we work, right? Now she wrote this book in 2006, mm -hmm. so I'm not sure exactly where things are at legally with, um, there's these bodies called IRBs, and every university has them, and their whole job is to approve uh, research on human subjects and to look at what you're proposing to do and say whether or not it meets certain ethical standards. So there were a lot of reforms she proposed to those, that I'm not sure if those have been implemented. I think they might be because I, I did a study um, in another country and we had to 
go by the U.S. standards. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, but it could have been the choice of the institution mm -hmm. and not the law. Okay. Right? So I'm not sure if it's a law yet or not. But um, oh, what was my point? So we were talking about they're going to Africa, they're doing all this stuff. Yeah. Somebody reaches out to just right. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so um, so so what's happening right now is that there's this. Um, public health freak out about population, mm -hmm. right? right? There's too many people on the earth. What are we going to do? We can't feed all these people, you know? Um, so we have to figure out how to reduce the population, okay? And, um, you know, they'll say what they're in it for is public health, right? And, you know, to a certain extent, you know, I'm not saying that everybody that it, I'm certainly not saying everybody involved in reproductive health in, um, in, in countries, particularly in Africa and other places that are um, poor in terms of their GDP, I'm not saying everybody involved is um, trying to do something sinister and trying to, you know, commit genocide. That's not, that's, that's mm -hmm. not the case, okay? Um, what I'm talking about are people who believe that the population has to reduce, has to be reduced, and we've got to start with the third world. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm talking about. Meanwhile, we're living here in America with like Use of the two cars, resources. right? And like, if everyone lived like us, even America can't afford it. We're like, there's too many people out. Yeah, that's so this is what you got to look at, mm -hmm. right? Because you know what you have to look at is you know one. Okay, fine. Um, there is a lot of evidence that you know if you know for someone who has less children, you know their chances of living longer perhaps and being able to access education and being able to move about poverty that those things improve mm -hmm. okay i got it um but we also have to look at you know what are the surrounding conditions that create you know the situation so if if i if my project is promoting um you know um birth control but not addressing any of the other mm -hmm. uh, problems, not addressing clean water, you know, not addressing um, access to other kinds of preventative health care, uh, you know, not addressing um, uh, uh, drought and famine, uh, you know, not addressing those infectious diseases. If I'm if I'm really going hard about you need this birth control and I'm not helping you with anything else, that's suspicious. Yeah. That's suspicious. So part of this tradition, right? You know what I mean. If, if the if if the if the push and for access to birth control is embedded within a comprehensive uh, program and plan to address multiple needs of people and help them in many ways, then you know that that's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, but but you know, let's look at what is it that you're what is your real goal? What are, what are you actually doing? Right. You know, that makes sense. Yeah. So what would you, you've mentioned that you, you think that folks who are trying to get involved in, in healthcare in some way should read this book. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, what do you think would happen if that were the case? If like every doctor that you went to see or like everyone who did research or every, yeah, everyone who's doing these projects, how would things be different? Uh, I'm thinking about, you know, the, like my grandma who doesn't like going to the doctor, right? What's going to change for her? Okay, so I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna, this is one thing that she says. She's like, "Look, 
people that do medical research aren't any better or worse than anybody else. So there are people who are, who are going to read this book and be like, well, you know, black people are inferior. So, you know, we're justified. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know, they're like, uh, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, so mm -hmm. you're going to have those people because those people are out there. They are. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Um, but, you know, there are other people who are going to read the book and they, you know, it might be part of a process for them. Um, and I'm talking about, I'm not talking about just about white people. I'm not talking about just about white people at all. It, it could be, you know, part of a process for them to understand how to become better practitioners of healthcare and how to better serve black people and um, other groups who have historically been not just underserved, but historically abused by uh, medicine. You know, you have all kinds of groups who've been abused by medicine. You've got intersex people who've been abused by medicine, people with disabilities, um, people with uh, mental health disorders, um, people living in poverty in general, you know, people who are incarcerated, formerly incarcerated, you know, uh, immigrants. A lot of people have grievances with the healthcare system and have, you know, justified issues and fears around going to going and establishing a relationship with a doctor, going and seeking care at emergency rooms and, and hospitals, um, going for exams that can help with early, early detection of illnesses like cancer, um, contributing to reduction in health disparities, um, and then just, you know, just in general, um, you know, if you if you trust someone, you open up to them. If, if, you, if, you, if you're a doctor and I don't trust you, I'm not going to tell you everything that you really need to know in order to properly help me, right? right. So you're going to be missing so many things because I don't trust you at all. And I'm not going to tell you what's really going on with, going on with me. Um, you know, it also, you know, we, we also want, you know, people to be humanized a lot more to people in the medical professions. Um, you know, you have this um, this phenomenon we call uh, compassion fatigue that happens to people when when they're in the medical profession or any like social work happens to social workers. It happens to EMTs. It happens to doctors. It happens to all uh, teachers. Shoot, all kinds of people who are in those professions. Um, and and for people with who are in, in medicine. A lot of times it can become about treating, not necessarily a full person, mm -hmm. but treating symptoms, treating lab values, treating test results. Um, and so, you know, some, so returning to a book about medical ethics, I think can help you recenter yourself about, you know, what, what, should, what should your approach be when you're working with people and maybe put you back in touch with the reason why you decided to get into this in the first place. We're about at time. Is okay. there anything that you wanted to talk about that you haven't had to before I ask for your favorite quote? Sure. So one thing I'm going to say is that um, when Harriet Washington was writing the book, she came um, into a lot of support from people who were saying, yes, we need this book. And then she came into a lot of resistance mm -hmm. from people who were like, if you write this, black people are not going to want to come to the doctor, not going to come to the hospital. This is terrible. You should stop this. Right, um, but she pressed on anyway because she knew that this is necessary um, in overcoming a lot of that. And so I, I think that the author does not want people to walk away from this book 
being like, oh, well, I should never go to the doctor now because all this stuff happened, <laughs> right? She does not want people mm. to walk away right. with that. Yeah. Okay, she, she actually thinks that people should participate in ethical, therapeutic medical research because mm -hmm. that's, that, that's a lot of, you know, how we, um, you know, we know what to do to help people and what works and what doesn't work. And if we've been doing something that doesn't work, we need to continue to study it so that we know it does work, right? So she wants people to enroll in research studies. She wants people to seek care. So she wants people to establish relationships with a doctor and not just an emergency room, but have your own doctor. And she wants people to have access to healthcare. Um, you know, she doesn't want people to walk away from this book um, being afraid to get care when they need it. She doesn't want people to not go to the hospital when they, you know, when they need care, right? Um, so, but what she is saying is that for the person who who feels like that, I'm, you you were justified in feeling like that. That's the message she wants you to walk away with, and you're justified in feeling like that. And um, and what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to try to figure out how to change things so that you get what you need. Mm -hmm. I think so. I think that's what that's she's trying to say. That's important distinction. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for adding that. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Yeah. Goes to the doctor. Yes. Yeah. 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 But you know, but she also wants people to. She also wants to give people tools to discern what's going on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, she wants you to have an idea of um, if you're involved in something that's fishy, um, how to how to decide if you're going to do if you're going to enroll in a research study. Is this um, an ethical research study? Or are they out to get me? <laughs> okay, because they might—they might be out to get you. But what if, what if they're not? What if this is going to be a good thing? Right? It could be. So she wants pe people to give. She wants to give people tools to discern and figure out, you know, uh, what they want to do, and how to decide, um, you know, uh, how, you know, what they're, what, what to consent to, what not to, um, how to decide um, what treatments they're going to accept and what they're going to decline. And you know how to look out for bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know that's that's what she's she's doing here. So um, and I think um, my favorite quote relates a little bit. Okay. Well, before I, I'm gonna, we're gonna close out with you reading that, uh, and I wanna before that happens just say thank you again. This was really helpful, and as someone who I kind of came to Chicago doing a lot of work around climate change, being the, the, where the population debate is is very big. Uh, this was very very helpful, and I think mm -hmm. gave me a very clear way to pinpoint um, and chart when things are mm -hmm. in some fucked up stuff and when things are actually trying to help folks yeah. with self-determining, right? Um, so thank you for that. And, and the book, again, it's by Harriet Washington. It's called Medical Apartheid, The Dark History of Medical Experimentation on Black Americans from Colonial Times to the Present. And um, the organization that I want to lift up again is UMedics. That's U, the letter U, Medics. And you should check them out and you should support them however you can because they're doing really, really, really beautiful, powerfully simple, life-saving work. Um, and I have tremendous respect for them and want them to have more support. So check them out. Um, and then if you would close this out, though, with a, a passage, and if you want to introduce it with sort of why you love it, or you can just mm -hmm. go straight into it. Okay, sure. So... Um, you know, as it comes, as it concerns experimentation, you know, because we have this horrible history of uh, people not doing it right, um, people being unscientific and stupid, 
and the, to begin with, mm -hmm. to begin with, and then after that, you know, being cruel and horrible and barbaric to people, you have it all wet, right? So, the, so the the word experimentation would sound scary to people, um, but you know, it's it's been necessary since you know human beings decided we were going to you know have medicine to do this to figure out um, you know. Um, what what treatments work and which don't. And she points out that black people have been doing medical experimentation for a very, very long time. Um, and she, she, this quote is about things that have happened since we've been in, United Sta in the United States. Um, and, after, and it's after this quote that she gets into um, how um, people in West, West Africa pioneered vaccines. And the reason why we have vaccines in the Western world is due to the knowledge of Africans, right? So, so vaccination comes from Africa. So this is, um, this quote is on page 71. So it says, some who ascribe African-Americans poor health to their wariness of the U.S. health system claim that African-Americans have always opposed medical experimentation independently of any medical abuses. But from an early time, Black Americans themselves have engaged in therapeutic medical experimentation. African herbalists investigated, tested, and perfected the use of plants they found in the New World for the new ailments that afflicted both blacks and whites. They adapted medicines and techniques they brought with them, such as the stimulant coconut, which was adopted so widely that it eventually supplied the main ingredient for Coca-Cola. Um, and she doesn't talk about this really in the book that I could find anywhere, but um, if you look at interviews with her, she talks about um, how uh, people in Africa were uh, beginning to do C-sections you know, before people in the West. So, you know, just things like that um, just point to the fact that we have to continue to build upon the knowledge we have and, and continue advancing to improve um, human freedom, human health and well-being. And, you know, she wants black people to participate fully in that, in the ways that we think are safe for us. So, Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Lit Review, a podcast where we interview people we love and respect about books for the movement. We are your co-hosts, Monica Trinidad and Paige May, two Chicago-based organizers. Special shout out to The Lit Review's very own sponsor, the Arcus Center for Social Justice Leadership out of Kalamazoo College. Keep your eyes and ears open for another episode next Monday, same time, same place. Want to hear about a specific book? Email us at thelitreviewchicago at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. And if you like this episode, give it a shout out on Twitter or Instagram. Our handle is at litreviewshy. Keep, Keep reading! reading.